Welcome to the What We Talked About in Class podcast, brought to you from the campus of Johnston Community College in Smithfield, North Carolina, underwritten by Anchor, where everyone can make a podcast for free. The eth- ethics are standards of more a standard of moral behavior, and it's a mutually agreed upon standard within a group of people, right? Whether that group be a organization, or a community, or a state, or a country, um, or a society, however you want to describe it. I mean, we have these mutually agreed agreed upon ways of behaving, and it becomes quickly common knowledge how you should you know, have these social boundaries and, and ethics with other people. Like, um, has anybody ever had a somebody talk to you that was a close talker? They kind of get inside your personal sp- space, you know what I'm saying? It feels weird, right? We know as a people that you shouldn't do that, right? And I've had close talkers that will pop up occasionally in my life, and I just have to keep moving away from them. I'm like, okay, dude, you know, three foot, what's up? You know, back off. But, you know, most people know that that's kind of a norm, that, you know, that we have that societal standard. And so ethics very much follow those norms as well, you know. Everybody should know this is a certain way we act and talk to each other. Um, but that being said, it's not always the case that people connect those dots. And sometimes we have these unethical things that continue to persist uh, throughout our society. So, all right, um, we talked about a bunch of different things on Tuesday. And uh, we kind of got to this point to talk about corporate social responsibility. And so this is where a business has concerns for the welfare of society. And this has been a big thing in the past five, 10 years. More and more you see companies that have a CSR message. You know, how do we give back? You know, um, some of the ways, what are some examples of ways you've seen companies saying this is how we give back? Any examples come to mind? Sure. Who? Charities. Charities, like like what? What's an example? St. Jude's. What's that? St. Jude. St. Jude, okay. We contribute to St. Jude. The Ronald McDonald House, right? That's our social responsibility. What else? You know, things come to mind? We're going to be carbon neutral by 2030, right? That kind of stuff. Meaning that we're going to reduce waste, you know. I, I looked at the Apple event yesterday. Anybody see that? New Apple products coming out. And... They said that their partners reduced waste by 250,000 metric tons last year, something like that. And, I mean, they're working to reduce, you know, their byproducts and waste. So, any other examples of how we, how we hear companies doing things for the community? Like, if you walk into Target or Walmart, they'll have a billboard up front, usually, and it'll show this is what we did for the local school system, you know, or this is the scholarships we passed out, or... Uh, firehouse subs, anybody been into firehouse subs? Their whole mission is around fire departments. And so usually when a firehouse opens, they'll throw a big party and they'll invite all the local fire departments in and they'll usually pass out a big check and support, you know, firemen and things like that. That's all, that all deals with CSR. So it's based on a commitment to integrity, fairness, and respect. Some feel this is not a manager's role. Yeah, I'll speak to that in a minute. Proponents argue that businesses owe their existence to the societies they serve and cannot exist in societies that fail. Companies with good ethics, ethical reputations attract and retain better employees, draw more customers, and enjoy greater employee loyalty. Yeah, and so you, people want to work for companies or with companies that have 
good ethical um, reputations, you know, but at the same time, I don't want to do business with people that have bad ethical reputations. Uh, And so it's in a company's business interest to do things that are deemed ethical and good. If a company's making a billion dollars a year in profit uh, and they're not giving anything back, so at some point someone's like, you know what, you guys are just making all this money and you're not really serving society. Now, I can argue both sides of this because from a strictly business standpoint, the reason a business exists is to earn a profit for its shareholders. That's it. There is no other reason. We're here to make money for our shareholders, period. That being said, if a business was solely doing that and that's all they were doing, they would have a hard time in this world because the expectation is more. Not only are you supposed to be in business, but you're supposed to be uh, a beacon of ethical behavior. You're supposed to be a steward of the communities in which you serve. You're supposed to be a caretaker of your employees to provide good benefits and good compensation so they can have a good quality of life. And so on and on and on, there's this expectation that businesses will be examples. And, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword because uh, businesses vied to have this quote-unquote personhood status, meaning that from a tax code perspective, a corporation is a legal person, Uh, not a physical person, but a legal person. They have personhood and they have certain rights. That being said, if you are a quote-unquote person, just like people, you have a responsibility to the community in which you live, you know. So you have to be a good steward of that community. Uh, and so I see both sides of this. I see the side of we're here to make money. That's, that's what our focus is. I also see the side of we're, we're here to also be stewards of the communities in which we serve. Does anybody have an opinion on this or idea or thought? I know you're a chatty crowd. Got to tap the brakes on you a little bit. <laughs> I, know, I know you like to chime in often, so... I'm going to um, jump to the next one then. So dimensions of company social performance. Corporate philanthropy is a big one. Charitable donations, you mentioned that. So um, I see it all the time. Almost every like big marquee brand I go into, you see some charity component to it. Like XYZ Company Gives or XYZ Company Scholarship or XYZ Company Foundation, you know, and... It's, it's, there is a lot of motivations for that, but probably the biggest motivation is good, it's just a good business practice to have a philanthropic arm. That, that just, it's, it's good PR to say, hey, we made a billion dollars last year, but we gave a million back to the community to help them build swing sets for the kids or whatever. You know? It just looks good to do that. It's good business to, uh, to be a CSR proponent. Corporate social initiatives include enhanced forms of our corporate philanthropy directly related to the company's competencies. So, yeah, I mentioned one last uh, Tuesday, or maybe last week, uh, things like Bamba socks. They're good, they, they produce uh, like sock and other like leisure wear. And because they're good at doing that, they donate um, their products to communities in need. They, they give a lot of them to homeless shelters. Corporate responsibility includes everything from hiring minority workers to making safe products. A really good one I saw recently, and I sent it out last week to uh, my team, was called Hot Chicken Takeover. Did I tell you guys about this? Hot Chicken, yeah, Hot Chicken Takeover. They hire ex, uh, ex, ex-cons, and they hire um, some homeless folks to give them the opportunity to get back into working society because so many other people 
look over those individuals and just totally pass on them. And it's hard to break that cycle of poverty and incarceration if you're having a hard time finding secure employment. So doing stuff like that shows corporate responsibility. And then corporate policy, the position a firm takes on social and political issues. Um, yeah, I've, I've seen some of this recently where corporations, Netflix got into this recently. Um, there was a lot of political talk within Netflix, the company, and the company finally just said, look, we're here, we're here to run a business. We're not here for ide ideological you know, indulgences. You, know, you guys can believe whatever you want to believe, that's fine, but at the end of the day, we're here to do a job, and you know, just that, that's how we feel about it. You know? And I see both sides of it, but um, I think depending on the type of corporation you are and what the type of industry you're in, you can have varying levels of involvement in the social and political spectrum. So um, some corporations are very involved in, in politics. They, they donate to um, super PACs and things like that or to campaigns to try to get legislators in place to get legislation that will benefit them. That's the whole industry in and of itself. Uh, any questions on this from the corporate social responsibility angle? All right, so this was some examples. Helping Hands, Most Generous, generous Celebrities, um, George and Amal Clooney, the Clooney Foundation for Justice, UN Messenger of Peace, Ellen DeGeneres, St. Jude Hospital, Humane Society, John Legend, Show Me Campaign, Rihanna, the Clara Lionel Foundation, Global Scholarship Program, the Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson Research, Laverne Cox, the National Coalition of Anti-Violence Programs, Sir Elton John, um, the Elton John AIDS Foundation, Matt Damon, H2O Africa, we talked about that earlier. Oprah Winfrey, the Angel Network. Uh, generous guys, world's biggest givers. So, um, and I'll talk about this in a second too, but Warren Buffett, 3.45 billion. Bill and Melinda Gates, 2.6 billion. Bloomberg, 76 million. Walton family. All right, I'm recording again. Anytime the phone rings, it stops unless I put it on airplane mode, so sorry about that. Um, so, but yeah, taxes is a good incentive. Influence is a good incentive. Any other incentive? that there might be to donate so much money? As I said before, it's just good business. If, if you're at the top of a giving list, people really like that. They like to say, okay, this is a person who, who gives things away. I met a guy who got a Bill and Melinda Gates um, Millennial Scholarship, uh, Foundation Scholarship, and so uh, that's really cool that they were able to do that. So, All right, so uh, just additional information about CSR, positive impacts of companies. So negative news impacts customers' uh, view of companies. Many companies allow employees to volunteer and help with social agencies. So there could be a lot of negative PR out in the world, but if you're a company that has a giving program or something, that helps offsets those negative impacts. So volunteer in the community. These public employees are planting a garden at homeless shelters during Public Serves Day, an annual event where the grocery chain partners with more than 135 nonprofit organizations to help communities across the southeastern U.S. Do companies have responsibilities to, to do uh, to the communities in which they operate beyond obeying the law? So this is a question asked a while ago. What is the obligation beyond obeying the law and trying to make money? Do you really think there is an obligation or do you think there's just an implied obligation based on the world we live in today? What do you think? Right. I think they do it just to save face more than they're actually doing it. I think there's definitely a 
ulterior motive than this shiny, happy, smile poster you see. You know, like, anytime you see somebody smiling with a big check, I mean, first of all, the big check doesn't hurt them. You know what I'm saying? Like, if they're giving away a million bucks as an example, this is a billion-dollar company. You know, they can they can do it without without missing it. And the second thing is, it does it does offset any negatives that you have. You know, oh, you're doing all this good stuff, so something bad happens. Oh, but wait, look over here. You know, let me focus on this. And if you hear anytime you hear a, um, a public or a uh, public communications officer or a top a communications VP or something talking, if they say, you know, can you comment on this scandal? And they'll say, this corporation does X, Y, Z for the community. We're proud that our, you know, we, we partner with 135 nonprofits, you know, yada, yada, yada. So you hear this, this narrative of we're building a framework by which the world can see us. And so I'm not being completely cynical about it, but I just know there is a method to the madness. There's a reason behind why they do that. So anybody else have any other opinions on do businesses have an obligation beyond profit-seeking? It doesn't matter if you agree or disagree. What, what, any thoughts? Just want to hear your brain moving. We should try like playing the steering game sometime. Just see who would win. You guys will probably win because I can't go that long. I'll just like sit here and stare at you for a minute. All right. I'm going to go to the next slide. Is that okay? All right. So, examples of corporate social responsibility, some additional ones. Starbucks, when the South American coffee crops were dying from coffee leaf rust, Starbucks R&D farm developed rust-resistant coffee plants. The company improved the lives of coffee growers by giving away the superior seeds to more than a million farmers and workers across seven countries and three continents. So, yeah, they did this, but there was an ulterior motive. And I'm not being cynical, but the reason they did that is because they need that supply of coffee. They had to be, they had to find a solution because if there were massive crop failures, that's going to impact their capacity to, to get that product. So um, there is a, like I said, a method to the madness. Homeless Harvest, San, San Francisco-based coconut water brand uses only coconuts that are ethically harvested, processed, and packaged. Well, does that mean anything to any of you guys? Ethically harvested, that language. Or ethically sourced. Does it, does it have any meaning to you guys? Like, I mean, I, I just wonder how much consumers care about stuff like that, you know? Right. Well, I feel, I, I guess I'm not, I, mean, I feel like I've come across really cynical today. I don't mean to, but I just being, uh, being um, kind of questioning these language, this verbiage, because when I see somebody, something promoted as sustainably grown or ethically sourced, I'm wondering how much of value add that is to a consumer. You know, like, does a consumer see that and say, oh, this product is, is, is sustainably grown or produced or ethically sourced? That is a super value add for me. And you're going to have a niche of customers that that, that applies to. You know, say, oh, I'm only going to buy ethically sourced and I'm only going to buy, you know, sustainably grown products, whatever. But I know there is a niche of customers that will gravitate towards that and that validates in their mind another rationale for why they should go with that brand. 
But I'm just wondering, does the mass market really care about that? You know, and I don't. I see like you guys really doesn't doesn't resonate with. You know, does does it matter to you guys? It doesn't really it doesn't really vibe with me. I don't really dig that deep into it personally. But because this language, I mean, I'm 42 years old. I'm not that old, but I'm old enough to these this language like sustainable and ethically. I mean, that's a relatively new thing like organic wasn't even really used that much until the past 15 years or so and so when i see an organic label that doesn't mean that much to me you know i just it's just more expensive you know there you go so um zipline international zipline <coughs> uses drones to distribute medical supplies to clinics uh hindered by impassable roads and limited storage facilities the company is 100 percent focused on serving the neediest healthcare systems and has turned away from customers asking it to deliver other goods um, then PepsiCo, Panera, McDonald's, and Nestle, these are just a few of the food companies that are providing healthier food and drink options by doing such things as switching to cage-free eggs, adoption stricter antibiotics, adopting uh, stricter antibiotic policies, removing preservatives, reducing fat, sugar, and sodium, and adding more minerals and nutrients. So remember we talked about trying to kind of front that you were doing good works because um, as an example, Nestle, they, they, they do some business practices that I don't necessarily, I don't know if I necessarily disagree with, but I just say they're not saints when it comes to the business world because they have gone in and bought up water rights in, in a lot of places, and then they just basically dominate the water consumption, and it forces locals you know, to um, have to suffer with less, less access to, to clean water. Um, there's a bunch of examples of that. Um, so there's actually a documentary about that too. I don't think you think of KFC uh, and McDonald's and think guilty. Yeah, that's a fallacy. You know, that, I mean, I don't care what McDonald's says. You know, it's it's fast food, it's junk food. I mean, like I, I don't. We we do a word association um, in some of my classes, and let's do it real quick. I'll just instead of me putting it on the board, I'll just ask you. I'm gonna name a brand. I'll name a brand. You tell me one word you associate with that brand. So you tell me how that word makes you feel or a word you associate with that brand. Let me give you an example. If I say Domino's, you might say pizza, you know, or if I say Domino's, you might say cheap or, or you know, something like that. So you ready? You going to play? Okay, here we go. So if I say McDonald's, what word do you associate with McDonald's? Affordable. A different word, somebody. Fattening. 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 What'd you say? Greasy. I was going to say something greasy too, like fried, greasy. Uh, I would say gross. Gross, yeah, because as I've gotten older, I crave fresh foods over gross foods, you know, so. All right, so if I say Coca-Cola, what do we associate with Coke? Soda. Who? Soda. Soda. What else? Carbonated. What else? Coca-Cola, huh? Sugar, there you go. All right, if I say um, Netflix, what word do you associate with Netflix? Movies. Movies? TV shows. TV shows. If I say Disney, what word do you associate with Disney? Florida. Florida. Expensive. Expensive. Anything else? All right, if I say... Panera Bread, what do you associate with Panera? Expensive. Expensive, me too. 
It is good. Yeah. Um, I'll do a couple more real quick. Um, trying to think. Uh, if I say Target, what do you associate with Target? Dangerous. Dangerous? Yeah. In a good way? Yeah. Uh, what else? I would say more expensive maybe or more premium. Well, if I say Walmart, what do you think? One word. Groceries. Groceries? What'd you say? No? Cheap. Cheap. Out of stock. Crowded. Crowded, yeah. Smelly. Dirty. <laughs> Horrible. 11th ring of hell. You ever seen the, uh, the thing with the McDonald's cheeseburgers where somebody had had one, people keep them wrapped Yeah, up. for years, years and years, yeah. Up and up, there's not mold. Uh, yeah, I had one kept in my closet, I think for about, for about a decade. And it was, looked pretty fresh. Did you, how'd you try it? All right, not to pick on you. Last one, Dairy Queen. When I say Dairy Queen, what do you associate with Dairy Queen? Ice cream. Ice cream? Unbelievably hot. Hot? It's so hot in there. What else? Uh, think on it. Slow. Uh, who? Slow? Slow. Yeah. Blizzard. Blizzard would be my word, probably. I love blizzards. Um, yeah, when I say McDonald's, some people say broken ice cream machine when I say that, because that's true, you know. Um, but the point of doing the exercise is to say that we form associations with companies, whether we realize it or not, and every day that association can change a little bit. So, like, for years I boycotted um, Olive Garden because I just thought it was expensive and it's not that good. And then we went back, and I had the salad and the breadsticks. I thought, okay, it's decent. But now I'm boycotting again. I told my wife, I don't care if I ever go back. Because it's, like, expensive. I, I just went in August, and I told my wife, I said, this ain't even good anymore. Well, when we go, it's, like, 60 to $70 for my whole family. And I'm like, I can make better spaghetti. And that should not be occurring, that I can make better spaghetti than Olive Garden. Why? How is that? Why is that? I mean, I could go to Walmart right now and get the Walmart brand pasta sauce, with some oregano, salt and pepper, and some other things, and it would be better than Olive Garden marinara. I don't understand I think it. that's the case with most restaurants, though. I think quality of food has gone down. Yeah, it has. It has. So, All right. Well, good conversation. Well, there's a little digression. That's okay, though. So, All right. Um, this is just some of the other examples I'll go through real quick. Uh, GSK, GlaxoSmithKline, pharmaceutical company delivers health care to those who are underserved. GSK no longer files drug patents in the lowest income regions of the world in order to make drugs more accessible. Um, it reinvests 20% of any profits it makes in the least developed countries into training health workers and building medical infrastructure. I like that. It's basically you're creating an infrastructure for future demand because by you investing in those countries, you're creating generational investment in you. So like because they go build a training center you know, that person's going to work there. Their kids may work there. I mean, you, it really is. You're creating generational um, customer loyalty by doing that. GE or General Electric invests $17 billion in research and development of clean technology, such as digital wind farms, which can boost a wind farm's energy production by 20%. MasterCard, the credit company, is making it easier for charities to get help to people who really need it quickly. MasterCard distributes cards, similar gift card that are loaded with points redeemed for groceries, medicine, shelter, building materials, or business supplies. The cards can be made and distributed in a day or two compared with the weeks needed to create and send paper vouchers. Coca-Cola, the soft drink company, has helped 
1.2 million women in 60 countries become entrepreneurs by partnering with governments and nonprofit organizations to create market-specific entrepreneurship programs, and Intel, the technology giant, is helping build a workforce capable of keeping up with the digital revolution. Intel's TEACH program helps K-12 teachers integrate technology in classrooms and build critical STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math skills. All of the all of these things are great, but they all do have a profit motive at the end of it. So if you look at each one of these, you can actually see the profit motive at the end, uh, like built into that system. So of course, Intel is going to get involved with K twelve because they want kids to say, "Oh, I went through an Intel Intel program," and so. Anytime they see that, that's like programming them with that branding, you know, Intel. And so Coca-Cola, the same thing, you know, like uh, they're, they're, every time that you do something like this, you're advertising. Every time that you're doing something, a MasterCard, you better believe those MasterCards have the MasterCard symbol on them. So if you're giving somebody a, a handout, you know, and companies do this in like uh, promotional ways too. Uh, how many of you have ever bought a product or service and you got some type of kickback or a bonus, like, you know, you buy this thing and we're going to give you this. Has anybody ever got something like that? Anything at all? Yeah. So, like, uh, I've bought stuff before and I got, like, a gift card from the company. And that gift card, Build-A-Bear, has, a, has anybody ever bought from Build-A-Bear? They have a really slick thing they do. I don't know if you, how long has it been since you went to Build-A-Bear to do something? No, don't say it was your niece. I know you bought a bear for you. It's okay. It's okay. It's all good. It's all good. But so if you go to the register and you check out, they offer you a five, a $10 gift card for $5, right? All that is is a loyalty program. You know, they're buying, they're giving you a $5 discount, but they're buying you coming back for repeat business, you know, because if you go in there just to spend that $10, bucks, you are probably you're not going to get much for that, right? So... They're buying you back. Uh, Bath and Body Works, my wife worked there for 13 years. If you shop there, you're going to get a coupon, just like Old Navy does the same thing. You get a coupon, come back next week. Guess what? We got a prize for you. What's up? Like during Christmas time, my mom and sister will drag me into Bath, Bath and Body Works. Uh-huh. And uh, every single time you go in there, there's some huge sale they're doing where if you buy one of these, you get like 16 of these or something like that. Yeah. And so you go in looking for one thing, and next thing you know, you have a whole like trunk full of. I know, I know. My wife is addicted. Yes, Karen, you have a problem if you're listening. So I love you, but yeah, a lot of Bath and Body at my house. It's okay. My house smells good though. It smells like apple pie and like pumpkin spice right now. So um, the candles, the three wicks are good. So all right. Um, next thing we're going into um, responsibility to customers. So President Kennedy's four basic rights to customers. This is something that he talked about: the right to safety, the right to be informed the right to choose and the right to be heard. So um, I think, I wouldn't necessarily say these are then importance or ranked in importance listing, but safety I think is the most important of the list. You want to produce a safe product and service. This is one of the main reasons we have regulations in our governments to protect consumers. Because if we didn't have regulations, who's to say that company couldn't sell a product that was not safe for consumers to use? So anytime you buy a product, whatever it may be, this product has been through rigorous um, testing to make sure that this is a safe product for you to use. Um, and, you know, within, within reason, you know, I shouldn't drink 20 of these a day. But um, 
normal use of a, tr of a product for its intended purpose uh, has been deemed to be safe and that's why it's available to you. So safety is a big thing and we'll, we'll talk more about safety in this uh, semester. The right to be informed. Um, anytime, I mentioned Apple earlier, but anytime you upgrade your software, it's gonna give you a disclaimer. This is what's happening. You have a right to read this, you also have a right to not read this, but at some point you have to acknowledge that you had the opportunity to be informed. So this disclaimer is on all kinds of stuff. Uh, anytime you get a prescription, they print you a laundry list. It says, you know, if you take this pill, it will do this and it may cause this and this may happen and that may happen. If this happens, call 911 immediately, right? I mean, they, they give you all these disclaimers. That's what that right to be informed is about. They want you to know what the risks, the benefits are. And sometimes the, the risks outweigh the benefits. You know, you don't feel comfortable with some of the potential side effects, you know or risks associated with using a product or service. Um, the right to choose. You know, we have a free market capitalistic society. You have the right to choose whether you want to use a particular product or service. You may have heard the expression, voting with your dollars. You have the right to choose if you want to purchase that good or service or not. And the right to be heard. As a consumer, you want to be able to voice your opinion as to if this product is working, if it's defective, if you've got a problem. You need to be able to have a feedback loop for grievances and to be able to inform people uh, of what's going on with you and that product or service. So that's what corporate social responsibility and responsibility to consumers or customers is all about. Any questions or comments on this? All right. So the primary use of social media is to communicate CSR efforts. Um, we talk a lot about social media and some in this class, but in the business sphere, social media is a big, big conversation piece. Um, social media allows companies to reach a broad, diverse group and connect directly to them. Companies must live up to their expectations or face the consequences. Um, I have a philosophy on social media when it comes to business. It, if you're trying to advertise, you're doing it wrong. You can't advertise, you have to entertain. Entertain, if, let me get pointed to you this way. Advertising is just advertising. Entertainment is entertainment and it's advertising. Does that make sense to you? So if you're entertaining first, they're gonna get the advertisement by just watching what you're doing. So if I stand up right now to represent Doritos and I fall down and everybody laughs about it on YouTube or TikTok, it's entertaining, they're gonna see the Doritos ad logo and that's, that's in fact, if you watch some successful Super Bowl Sunday commercials, the best ones don't really promote a product directly. You know, they'll have somebody doing something stupid and then they'll just show the logo of whatever they're, they're promoting. And so you're entertaining and people are paying attention because people want to be entertained, but they don't want to be advertised to, right? So um, I was talking to somebody recently that was talking to a car salesman and they went to a car lot, they're looking at a car and the car salesman walks out. Has anybody ever done this, by the way? I know you have. Have you ever bought a car from a car salesman at a car lot? Let me tell you, it's not very fun. Is it fun? No. So walks out there, and the car salesman walks out, and he does something that I thought was good. The car salesman says, look, I know you're just looking. I'm not here to bother you. I just want to leave my card with you, and if you have any questions, I'm here to help. And he walks away. So it's like a non-sale because people don't want to be sold. Like, I don't want to be harassed, you know. Like, I don't like to walk in a store, and that, that salesperson is like, browbeating me. How can I help you today? What are you looking for today? Like, I'm looking for you to get out of my face, dude. Back off, you know? Like, you know, I, I don't want somebody to, like, browbeat me in a, in, a, 
in a car lot or anything like that. So, uh, but going back to social media, think entertainment first. If you're entertaining, you're advertising. And so whatever your social media campaign is, you need it to be funny, likable, shareable, or impact, emotionally impactful. If you create an emotional response in a per- person, be it a laugh or a tear, uh, you're going to be 10 times more, mem- more memorable to that person because e- emotion is very strongly correlated to memory. And so um, when you walk in a house you haven't been in in 10 years and you have that smell of that house, that smell, it creates this emotional response in your brain and these memories start flooding back to you. So um, that's, what, that's what the outcome of mark- good marketing is, is to create an emotional response. So any comments on social media? I know what you're going to say. Has anybody seen the corn video? The little kid talking about corn in South no. Dakota, whatever. No, no? I'm, not talking about it We're not, I'm not talking about it anymore either. It is so annoying. It is annoying, but I just saw it for the first time this week. My kids oh. were like, "Dad, watch this, the corn video." You know what I'm talking about? We're not playing it. We're not playing it. <laughs> I'm not playing it. No, just go home and Google corn video TikTok or something. It'll pop up. It's this little kid who's being interviewed about corn, and it's just funny how. In love he is with the corn cob he's eating at this fair, and just it's amazing, you know, it's corn, you know, and it's just so funny because he's he's so profound in his love, his genuine love of corn, and they made like a rap about it, or it's it's really funny, but um, you know, and they actually grabbed a hold of this kid and said, we want you to be our ambassador for corn for the whole state, so now this kid is now the state ambassador for South Dakota for corn, and he is entertaining but he's also advertising on behalf of corn production in the state. So he's, a new, he's their new spokesperson and advocate for corn. And I'll bet you a clean dollar bill that he'll be doing this for the rest of his life. Like 10, 20 years from now, you'll see this kid pop up. It's me. I'm that kid. Corn. You know, come on. You know, like you'll still see this. I wouldn't be surprised if you see him pop up at the Super Bowl. Mark my words. Watch the Super Bowl. You'll see corn kid pop up somewhere. It's corn. You know, so like it'll just... I, I can see it happening. So if we got time before we got here, I'll show you one of my favorite Super Bowl ads of all time. It was made um, by Taco Bell, but they got a local lawyer who, who bootstrapped his own commercial, and it, it went viral, and it turned out really great. So I'll show you that before we get out of here. So, All right, so some do's and don'ts. Social customers, don't, uh, contacts, uh, do's and don'ts of using Twitter for business or any social media. Do create discussions relevant to your industry. Don't start political rants. Think about your, do think about your message before posting. Delete tweets. Deleted tweets can still be found. Don't post impulsively. Um, do offer new and engaging content. Don't let your account lie dormant. Yeah, if that's, that's one of the biggest problems I see in business accounts is they don't post consistently. They may post, you know, uh, once a month. It's not enough. You got to do it a couple times a week. Uh, and we have software now called Hootsuite, and there's other ones that you can sign into and go ahead and create, create uh, like 20 tweets for the month and just want to fire off a day, you know. So um, do create separate accounts for business and personal use. Don't make personal announcements via your company's accounts. So um, these are some very um, sensitive things that you can, can get you into trouble. Um, you want to be very judicious if you're overseeing or have influence over a company social media account uh, because the smallest things can get you you kind of entrapped. Um, so uh, there is a company, I'll tell you about it while we're talking about it. There's a company that is out there that if a future employer wanted to, 
They can give that company your information and they will do a search for all your public social media content. And then that company will generate a report that will have an analysis of every tweet you've liked, retweeted, every Facebook post you've made, liked, shared, every Instagram post you've posted, liked, shared, all the way down all the social media. And it will, it will analyze it based on a number of factors, but it looks at things like posts that you liked, retweeted that involved political discourse, posts that you liked, shared, retweeted, or, re or reposted that involved like harsh language, you know, posts that you liked, retweeted, shared that may have sexual contents. Just keep on going, all these different metrics. And so like they generate a score that can be delivered to the employer that they can evaluate. And I thought, man, that is pretty insane. But that in, in 10 or 20 years, that could be a norm where every job you go to, they do an analysis of your social media because it's all public information. You put it out there, it's not against the rules, you know. But um, something like, the, I know the majority of employers look at your social media before making a hiring decision. So be cognizant of that now. Don't put stuff on your social media that you wouldn't want to be put in. I would say a good practice is pretend when you post on social media that you're posting something on the front page of your local town paper. If you have that mantra and you don't care, you know, like if, if you say it's, it's, it's good enough to go on the town front page paper, that's a good policy to have. Questions, comments, ideas on this topic. All right. So responsibility to investors. Insider trading and unethical activity in which insiders use private company information to further their own fortunes or those of their families and friends. Unethical behavior does financial damage to a company and investors are cheated. The SEC adopted a new rule called the Regulation FD, Fair Disclosure. Yeah, so insider trading is something that happens, I hear about it every year, somebody's doing it, where you get you become privy to insider information. In fact, uh, did I talk about Bed Bath & Beyond on Tuesday? Their CFO just committed suicide because he was under investigation for uh, a, tra a trading scheme. And so, yeah, insider trading information, so he didn't want to stand up to the scrutiny of that probably face some prison time, and uh, he decided to take his life. I hate that happen, um, but I hear about it over and over again, um, these, these things that do pop up. So best thing to do as a personal policy is just keep everything above board. Um, don't, don't be involved in anything that could, could be, you could deem unethical or even unsavory because that kind of stuff can come back to bite you. So you always need to be transparent. Anything that I think is unsavory in the slightest, I, I, I make a lot of documentations. I'll even email myself stuff to document conversations that were had. Um, but I keep a very open line of communication with my supervisor, and that just makes sure there's a transparency there. Not only my supervisor, but my team. I tell my team pretty much everything we're talking about, working on throughout the week. And that just keeps everything on the up and up. You know, that's, that's the way I like to operate. And I find that's a really good way to operate. So any questions on insider trading, comments on that? Um, you'll hear about it over and over uh, over your career. So. so here's an example of insider trading. In 2014, a judge sentenced former hedge fund trader Matthew Martoma to nine years in prison for overseeing one of the largest insider trading schemes in history. While working as a portfolio manager at SAC Capital, Martoma made a series of illegal trades that earned the company $275 million. The hedge fund's founder, Steve Cohen, managed to avoid jail time 
<clears throat> but was forced to pay a record $1.8 billion fine. So there are serious consequences to these unethical behaviors. Um, and once again, people try to rationalize their behavior, think, oh, other people have done it, oh, I'm not going to get caught, or it's not that big a deal. But, yeah, there, there are consequences to unethical behavior. Um, responsibility to employees. Create jobs and provide a chance for upper mobility. Yeah, that's, that's good social responsibility. Treat employees with respect. You know, that, that's paramount, absolutely essential. Offer salaries and benefits that help employees reach their personal goals. <clears throat> Loss of employee commitment, confidence, and trust in the company and its management can be costly. It may cost more to retain employees. It may cost more to invest in your employees. But what's more costly is losing good people because good people can be the deal maker or breaker. Um, I, I've seen it in real time where companies that don't care about employees, those people leave. Guess who's going through that right now? I would never believe this name would have popped up. But I know somebody that used to work there. Guess who has a big brain drain problem where good employees are leaving because they're not treated well? Who said it? Amazon. I would not believe that. But because you hear about Amazon, you think, big company, nice, sparkly, shiny. One of our instructors is a former Amazon employee, and he told me recently that he believes Amazon is quickly heading towards expiring their talent pool because people come through there, they work, they realize that there's either unrealistic expectations or unfair standards and work practices, so they, they jump ship and go somewhere else. You probably have heard bad stories about warehouse workers like having limited bathroom breaks and things like that. So, <clears throat> yeah, nobody wants to work in that kind of environment. And it can be very costly. I mean, it would cost, it would be marginal for Amazon to give everybody raises and better working conditions, but the cost of losing their workforce would be huge. I mean, billions of dollars of opportunity lost. So wages and benefits. The wage and benefit package offered by various warehouse retailers, uh, Costco, are among the best in the hourly retail. Even part-time workers are covered by Costco's health plan. <clears throat> increased benefits reduce Costco's employee turnover to less than a third of the industry average. Why do you think Costco is so successful at keeping its employees? That's pretty obvious because they probably pay better and offer better benefits. That being said, when I was at Walmart, their turnover rate was around 70%. That means in a year's time, if you had 100 employees, 70 of them leave. That's a lot, 70, 70 turnover. And it costs us about $2,500 to hire a new employee and train a new employee. So what's 70 times 2,500? It's a lot, a lot of money, 140, take that again. Somewhere around $165,000 something like that, maybe 175,000. What you got? $175,000 a year we're throwing out the window in, in opportunity cost. So employee retention is really good, especially if you've got a good employee that shows up on time and does good work. You want to keep those people in place. I tell my folks all the time, it's like, if you're not happy, tell me so I, we can work on making you happy because I want you to be committed, stay here, and do good work. Um, and it's essential. You can't run a good operation without good employees. Uh, it just the math doesn't work out. So questions or comments on this, if any. All right, so the responsibility to society and the environment. Many nonprofits receive funding from businesses, which helps both benefit both. Um, green movement emerged as a concern about climate change increase. Businesses are trying to minimize their carbon footprint. I mentioned that earlier. Environmental efforts may increase cost, but can create jobs and benefit everyone. Renewable energy and energy efficient industries account for 9 million jobs in the US. So 
Um, yeah, I work for a nonprofit on the side, and it's almost 100% found, funded by gifts, you know, corporate gifts, individual gifts. We do get some grants too, but um, that is a win-win. We actually just partnered, we're partnering with Foodline, uh, and they're providing some resources for us, but uh, that's a great thing for Foodline because they get the benefit of being able to have a turnkey nonprofit, meaning that there's no infrastructure for them to build. We've got the infrastructure. They just get to latch on to our infrastructure and be a part of the movement that we're already doing, which is food distribution. And since Foodline is a food provider, it's a, it's a really good uh, marriage uh, for that benefit, dual benefit. So the green movement emerged as concern about climate change increase. I'll ask you guys, I'll see you, buddy. Um, tell me about climate change. What's your opinion of it? Real, fake, happening, not happening? Very, very, very slow. Very slow. What do you mean? It's happening a lot slower than people realize it is. Any other opinions? It's getting real hot outside. It's hot outside, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 you know, the science, the science consensus is it is happening. We don't know the degree to which man is influencing it or mankind, um, but the, the scientific community is, is in agreement on a large consensus that it is changing. Um, the polar ice, ice caps are shrinking. These are scientific facts. Um, in my lifetime, the ocean sea level will rise a couple inches, probably, you know, and I, but I don't know what the, nobody knows what the long-term catastrophic effects could be. So I know, like, we, we don't know to the degree to which uh, it is changing. That's true. And uh, I do think, though, that at some point it just makes sense to go to renewables, uh, be it a 50 years or 100 years or whatever. Uh, that just makes sense. You know, you want to try to take care of your home, and this is the only planet that we have, you know, that's viable. What's up? Right. And for like the amount of resources spent on it. Yeah. There's a really a stigma with nuclear because <clears throat> when they have these power plant meltdowns, people say, Oh, I don't want that in my backyard, you know, but those incidences are rare and those incidences are isolated to um, reactors that were not built to modern spec, you know. But it's very costly to do nuclear, that's one problem, to build and, and, and operate it. There's a lot of political and um, consumer or uh, public, I guess, barriers against it, you know, because of, I don't want a nuclear reactor in my backyard, you know, that kind of thing, you know, so. It comes down to education, though. It does. You're right. Because a lot of people think of uranium, which is also used in uh, nuclear weapons. Sure. So people get scared about that, but uh, most plants that are now being made are actually using thorium and plutonium. Right. Which plutonium is the only part that's weaponized, and it's a very small amount that's not really dangerous to... You said a lot when you said it comes down to education because it, it, everything comes down to education. That's one reason I work in education. I believe education cures a lot of society's problems. It doesn't cure all of them, but it helps with a lot of them. People that have educations earn more money. They have higher standards of living, better access to health care, longer life expectancy. I mean, on and on and on. You know, Their children have better uh, life outcomes. So it's just it's, it's a good thing. But uh, I'll say this. Um, let this like suck into your brain when you wake up at two o'clock at night and think about this a hundred years from now, 200 years from now, it will be weird to think like how people will think about how, how uneducated we are. 
like how how primitive we are, you know, because of the way we think and talk and act, you know, like, because if you think about 100 years ago and 200 years ago in the past, they're living in the Stone Age, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, there was no internet, this, there, there was no information age, you know, but, and think about the way medical science operated 100 years ago, you know, I mean, Stone Age, right? And so, but I think 100 years from now, 200 years from now, they'll look at 2022 as being, man, how do these people live? You know, like, they drink something called Starbucks and Red Bull. You know, how do they even, how do they make it? You know, so they had these glass tablets they carried around in their hands, you know. Weird. Other comments on energy movement and the responsibility to society and the, and the environment. Any other, do we, uh, is anybody worried about the environment? Or you have concerns? Yeah. I, this is purely subjective. In my lifetime, I feel like summers have gotten hotter. That's just purely subjective. I'm not saying it's climate change. I'm saying that when I was a kid, summers didn't just blister you like they do now in North Carolina. Go. I feel like every year you hear, oh, it's record heat. Yeah, yeah. Why, like, why are we breaking records every year? What's the point of finding a record? I don't know. Like, uh, I'm not a scientist, but I, I, I've done enough studies to have an appreciation for data. And... You know, data doesn't tell the whole truth, but it tells part of the truth. And so if you're seeing a correlation of record heat over time, you've established a trend, you know, yes, whether you like it or not. Is that trend going to persist? You know, if you look at history, they, the, the climatologists say that we've had periods of increased heat and cooling on Earth. So, but, but we've never had the type of industrial, industrialization we've had up until this point in history. So... It's really, we're really in uncharted waters to see what's going to happen. So, all right, jumping forward. So, social business since Patagonia, am I pronouncing that right? Patagonia, founding in 1973, the outdoor apparel brand has strived to make quality goods in an ethical manner. From closely vetting its suppliers and promoting fair labor practices in factories, Patagonia believes that businesses should have a positive impact on the world. What do you think? And I'll preface this, or I'll add to it by saying. I wear Nike shoes, and I have an Apple product, both of which have been accused of uneth unethical labor practices. What do you guys think about that, if anything? So people at, at Foxconn that produce the iPhone and other Apple products, they have to put a suicide net around the building because people commit suicide because they work so much, six days a week, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16-hour days, yeah. So they actually installed nets around the building to keep people from jumping off and killing themselves. True story. So, yeah, not good working conditions. But do companies have a responsibility to address stuff like that? Like, I see it, I see it both ways. Like, I didn't knock on your door to say you want a job. You knocked on my door saying you want a job, right? I, I really don't like this. When somebody says, I say, hey, I got a job, $10 an hour. You want to work? And you say, yes, hire me. I say, okay, you got a job. And then six months later, you say, you know what? $10 an hour sucks, man. Like, what you going to do about it? I'm like, well, you knocked on my door saying you want a job. What do you want me to do about it? I mean, you know, so I see that happen a lot in business. Go. I feel like they spent a lot of money installing suicide nets when they could have just decreased work hours. Right. Because both you're going to lose money on it. And one, you're still going to have a worker. Like, if a worker is committing suicide, a worker is going to stop them from doing it at home. Are you going to follow them home with a net? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, they, a system like Apple 
They've got it down to the minutes. Every minute an employee works, how much output they get. They produce a hundred. They sell a hundred million of these a year. So that's a lot of inputs. And so every minute you're on the clock, they've got it tracked to know how many parts you're producing. You know, parts per minute. You know, or parts per hour. And so it's a system. You know, it's it's efficient, but is it ethical? Is it ethical to say we're going to let these people work till they go mad and drive themselves off a off a cliff or a building or whatever? So this is the this is the question. You know. Did we knock on their door and say you want a job? No, they knocked on our door. But at the end of the day, do we owe them a equitable work experience where they can have a quality balance of life? You know, like when I worked for Walmart, you know, they didn't care how many hours I worked. If I worked forty or fifty or sixty, didn't matter. But I can tell you right now, anything over forty hours, people get less and less productive. You don't become more productive after forty hours. You're just tired. It's like. You're just phoning it in, trying to get through the day. I mean, like, I've worked 50, 60-hour work weeks. It's just in the studies, I'm not just quoting myself, the studies show that productivity sharply drops off after 40. That's one reason we have a 40-hour work week is because they know that's about how many hours, uh, productive hours you can get out of people. So uh, other comments on this? I know we've kind of talked about it all day, but we want to work towards equitable and fair work practices. Um, but it's questionable whether the company owes that to employees. I think, I think it's a nice expectation. Uh, so it's up for debate. So social auditing, a systematic evaluation of an organization's progress towards implementing socially responsible and responsive programs. There are five types of watchdog. Socially conscious investors. These are people that want to make sure that companies are doing what they're supposed to be doing with regards to social responsibility. Socially conscious research organizations environmentalists, union officials, and customers. So these are all different types of watchdogs that are trying to make sure that, you know, they're trying to hold companies accountable, make sure they're doing what they say they're going to do. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I watched the Apple event yesterday, and they said by 2030 they want to have a carbon-neutral footprint, which means, yes, we're going to consume a lot of carbon resources, but we're going to offset that by doing something, you know, whether it be planting trees or you name it to offset that carbon footprint. So um, I know you need another minute to write, so I'll give you another few seconds. This will also be on the recording. What's for supper tonight while we're talking? Nothing for me. I quit eating at 3 o'clock, so yeah. Seriously, I'm doing that, that fasting thing, so. But it's going good now. I'm in week three. I've lost 10 pounds. I'm kind of holding there, but I'm hoping by next week I'll be down to like 12 pounds, you know, maybe. So we're working on it. So, All right. So um, this is another example of responsible environmental policies. The goal of the Rainforest Action Network, this is an environmentalist group, um, is to show companies that it is possible to do well by doing good. It conducts public campaigns that refuse to adopt responsible environmental policies. RAN has helped convince dozens of corporations, including Home Depot, Citigroup, Boise, Cascade, Goldman Sachs, to change their practices. Yep, um, I don't dig into the Amazon rainforest that much, but it was shocking how much deforestation goes on in a given day. Just uh, The main contributor to de deforestation is actually animal agriculture. We cut down forests to put these CAFO farms on to grow pigs and, and, and cows, you know, to feed the increased demand in meat products for people on Earth. So, yeah, that's maybe some additional information you didn't need to know, but there you go. So, America's most admired companies in 2020. 
Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Walt Disney Company, Berkshire Hathaway, Starbucks, Alphabet, J.P. Morgan Chase, Costco Wholesale, and Salesforce. Doesn't mean these companies are perfect. Doesn't mean they always get it right. Doesn't mean there's not opportunities for improvement. Starbucks had an issue a couple years ago where um, I don't know the I don't remember the exact details of the story, but a barista made either did something or said something that had a racist slant to it to two customers. I don't remember all the details, but because this was this racism thing that occurred at Starbucks, they closed down all Starbucks for half a day to have a corporate training. Does anybody remember this happening? This was like within the past three to five years. They said, we're just going to take a day, a half day. They closed down all the stores in the company to have a training on um, how we talk to our customers and, and how we treat our customers. So that was probably an expensive thing to do because you've got thousands and thousands of people on the clock that are going through this training. You've got missed sales opportunities that you can never recover, but it was the right thing to do. They said, look, we don't want our customers having this type of uh, experience. We're going to make sure that this is understood. This is how we treat our customers. Um, so what is corporate social responsibility and how does it relate to each of a business's major stakeholders? So what is CSR? What is it in essence? I don't know, Bradshaw. I've been listening to the whole class, I promise, but I can't remember. So, You got it. CSR is... It's what's the company or organization's responsibility to the community in which it serves beyond the premise of providing a good or service. So whether that be outreach, whether that be sustainability, you know, whatever form it takes. What is a social audit and what kinds of activities does it monitor? So a social audit is, can come from a bunch of different forums, like an environmentalist group, and it's a way to watchdog what a company's doing and hold them accountable, usually in a public forum. So if a company says, we believe in this and we do this, and then they go against that, you better believe they're gonna get eaten alive on social media because the watchdogs will come out and say, hey, you guys are supposed to be this, you're saying this and doing this, and so there's an inconsistency there. So international ethics and social responsibility. So top leaders are being held to a higher standard. Many businesses demand socially responsible behavior from their international suppliers. Regulations that, that kind of reinforces the Foreign Corrupt Principles Act, Inter-American Conventions Against Corruption, the UN Condemnation of Corporate Bribery, and the ISO 26000. These are just some of the regulations to help bolster the idea that we want to uh, have high standards when it comes to social responsibility. All of this is in line with ethics. We want to do things that model good ethical behavior. So overcoming ethical errors. Nike has, we just talked about Nike a while ago, outsourced the manufacture of its products to plants in other countries and has weathered much criticism for operating in low-wage nations where child labor is common. The company has taken many corrective measures, including working with other companies and advocacy groups on a set of common labor standards and factory guidelines. Can a successful firm overcome past ethical errors? What do you think? I mean, obviously, Nike is still doing well. Yeah, I think if you've made some missteps in the past, the main thing that people like is ownership. If a company makes them, if you make a mistake, hey, I messed up, I made a mistake, own it. Don't try to sweep it under the rug. That's not, that's not going to work because it's going to be found out, and then you're going to look like a chump for trying to sweep it under the rug. 
own your mistakes. Say, look, I messed up. How can I do better next time? That's what Nike did. They said, look, we realize some of our manufacturing processes have not been what they should have been. We've acknowledged that. We're working to correct that. Bear with us as we make this change. And, you know, that's, that is the right move to make. Everybody, every organization makes mistakes. They do things that in hindsight look stupid, you know. But if they'd say, look, we realize this was stupid. Let's, let's fix it. How can we do that? So it's not a problem if it's fixable. I, I, I applaud companies, and I give street credit to companies that do that. They say, look, made a mistake. We're making it right. So ethical culture clash. Here's an example of how corporate ethics can clash with cultural ethics, um, corporate and cultural. Joe is South American but moved to the U.S. for college and worked for a large telecommunications company for five years before being transferred back to his home country. He was reimbursed $2,000 a month for housing expenses, but lived in a much cheaper and dangerous neighborhood, sending the extra money to his family. What is the ethical dilemma? What is the ethical dilemma here? What do you think? Is there any ethical dilemma with that? I don't. I, I personally don't think there's a large ethical dilemma. I mean, if the company's going to give me two grand as living, and I can choose how I want to spend that. I mean, if I want to live in a cardboard box, and send all of it home, is that my prerogative? I mean, you know. I mean, you know, like if they give me a thousand dollar car allowance a month, and I spend five hundred on a car, and put the rest in an account, is that an ethical dilemma? What do you guys think? I mean. Oh, yeah. But uh, the fact that he says South American, I've noticed that a lot of people from that region of the world, whenever they come to like places like the United States or other richer countries, a lot of the like, one primary reason or one primary thing they do with their money is send it back to their family. Right. That's, that's one of the main points of why they're Sure. There. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a word for that, remittance. Um, they send, send money across borders. And, um, yeah, that, and the reason why... <laughs> It's um, basically dollar arbitration where a dollar in this country buys a Coke, but a dollar in that country buys a loaf of bread, you know, or two loaves of bread. So you're using those dollars to arbitrate. Does anybody have an issue with this? If you do, speak now forever, hold your peace. No issues? Okay. So how are the U.S. Business, businesses demanding socially responsible behavior from their international suppliers? We just talked about this. They're working with them to make sure they're doing things responsibly. And we have laws in place to guide how these things are supposed to be ethically manufactured. Why is it unlikely there will be a single set of international ruling govern rules governing multinational companies soon? Why do you think that is? Because it's hard to reach consensus. What are you going to say? Different laws. Yeah, different laws, different standards, different cultures. Um, the companies really have to set the standard that needs to be above the law. So, like, if the law is here, the companies say... This is where our guideposts are. We need you to do that because that makes good business sense for us. If you want to be in business with us, if you want to make you know, $10 million this year, this is where we need you to be. So, All right, guys, this wraps up lecture on Chapter 4. No homework until next Tuesday. We'll have a quiz on Tuesday. You enjoy your weekend, relax, and I will check out you guys next Tuesday for Chapter 5, okay? Mm -hmm.